Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. I want to just share this moment uh, when my wife and I were dating years ago, obviously. Uh, and, well, we still, we're still dating. We're still dating, right? Um, we celebrated somebody's 12th anniversary today. But, um, so this moment when my wife and I were dating and I decided to ask her to marry me, I set up this evening and she was at church and I went back to her house and asked her parents if I could set up a room. And so I set up a room in a different way. And did, sorry, you know, this was no helicopter mountaintop experience type of proposal uh, that you'd see on YouTube or YouTube worthy in that way. But it, was, it worked out nicely. And uh, I remember setting up the room, redecorating it, and she came home. And then it was that moment where I had to ask the question. And I asked the question, Franca, will you marry me? What do you think she said? She, no, just joking. She didn't say no. <laughs> I asked the question, and she said, yes, we're married now. It's almost 25 years that we're married, which is amazing. Yes, yes, yes. And so that one word, I mean, you can say yes, you can say, you know, you can just, but that yes in that moment, in that context meant a lot, right? Words change everything. A word that you say or a word that you receive, in that moment she was saying it, I was receiving it, uh, can change everything. It can be so instrumental in your life, the words that are used. And when we think about Christianity as a faith, or some might want to call it a religion, a belief system, but we like to call it a faith, um, it's a very wordy faith. If you go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, Moses instructs Israel, um, you know, that they would write these words that he's telling them on their hearts, on their doorposts, uh, you know, speak about them at dinner time and, and such. And it was called the Shema of Israel, that the, the Lord our God is one. Um, and, that, and so that was, that was a, a, those were words, right? When you think of the Torah in the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments, they're words. When you read uh, parts of the Psalms, especially Psalm 119, uh, it, there's various words for God's word to us, statutes, laws, teachings. And there's one phrase in the book of Psalms that says that his word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. One of the climaxes of Christianity being a wordy faith is that Jesus is actually called the Word. John, when he introduces Jesus in his gospel, he uses a Greek word called logos, and he refers to Jesus as the creative, wise word that brought the universe into being. It's a, it's a word that's just packed with meaning uh, and insight and, and power, and that's the word that John uses to introduce us, Jesus, us to Jesus, who is the Word, who was from the beginning. And so Christianity is a real wordy faith. And the path to living hope that we started last week, post-Easter, we're in this Eastertide uh, season and series, the path to living hope that God offers us is partly in, in words to us. And if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Peter. It's a letter to an early church in the, in the first century. Peter, one of the apostles, is writing this to a people that were following Christ, but were feeling beat up, beat down. They're called scattered uh, foreigners, exiles, strangers. And he writes this letter. We've been, we're, we're in this letter, bits and pieces of it, over this month, as we just try and 
unpack what a living hope is and what it means to have life sourced in the resurrection. And so you can listen to last week if you missed it on our podcast. But here's, here's a, a few words from this letter, starting in verse 22, chapter 1. Peter writes this. He says, Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable but of unperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile and insincerity, envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Let's just pray for a moment. God, we just, we posture our hearts in this moment and uh, bring ourselves to you. We long for this word uh, to impact our hearts, for this word to speak to us. Beyond even the words I say, God, may, may it be your word that really penetrates us today and, and helps us see you for who you are, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week, as we started this short series, uh, A Life Sourced in Resurrection, this idea of living hope, we talked about being woken up, like waking up to a life sourced in resurrection. And partly because it's available to you, it's available to me. Like we said, Easter didn't just happen, Easter happens. And what happened at Easter in Christ can happen in us in the depths of our beings. And although it's available to you, this is really important. It's not automatic to you. It's available to us, but not automatic to us. And Peter helps us understand that something invites us into this life, and what, how we're invited into this life is with a word. And he's reminding his readers how they entered into this life. He's writing to people who have already come to know Jesus, already uh, coming to know what it means to have life sourced in the resurrection, even in the middle of trials and, and struggles. And he's, he's reminding them how they entered, how they've been growing in this life. And it centers around the word. He says that all this happened because of the living and enduring word of God. The living and enduring word of God. Now, broadly, when we say, when you hear someone say the word of God, or you open up YouTube and someone just randomly says, this is the word of God, you know, sometimes they're trying to say that, you know, the, all of the scriptures, and um, broadly, we can think of the Bible in that way, but that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's not talking about the whole Bible here. He's actually speaking about the core message of the gospel, which is the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel. We can talk about the scriptures as God's word, but here, Peter's speaking about the word or the message of Jesus. And when you think about this, this is really important to, to know the difference because sometimes we want to share God's word and we're taking all pieces of it and, and kind of giving it to people without helping them see the word first, which is important, which is Jesus. The New Testament, when, they, when the New Testament speaks about the gospel or this living word, it's the gospel of God's kingdom. It's what Jesus actually announced to the world and to his disciples. It's God's kingdom that has come here and come near to us in Christ. 
God's Messiah, God's anointed one, showed up and fulfilled Israel's story and purpose. This was the big overarching like, message of the gospel, that God is still fulfilling his work to bring the world to himself, and now his Messiah shows up to fulfill Israel's story and purpose, and it culminates in the cross and the resurrection, that God in Jesus becomes king, the cross and the resurrection, and the overflow of that is life. The overflow of that is forgiveness. The overflow of that is freedom. The overflow of that is a promise of new creation. So what we celebrated a couple of weeks ago, Easter that happened, we don't want to just leave it there. We want to remember that God's rescue mission was secured on Easter, his death, burial, resurrection, and eventually his ascension. But the message is wrapped up in a person. The message is wrapped up in a person. And Peter helps his readers understand this by going back to one of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 to 8, um, Peter basically quotes that phrase. And um, that phrase basically says this, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers falls. The flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so Peter like, goes back to Isaiah to help his readers understand how powerful the living and enduring word is. When Isaiah writes this prophetic message to Israel, we read it in chapters, so let's kind of think about it that way. Chapters 40 all the way to 55 are really this buildup to describing the suffering servant of God, who is God's Messiah. So Isaiah is building up towards the suffering servant, towards who the, the, the Messiah that God will send and, and the Messiah that will come, but it starts with this metaphor, this metaphor of a word or the word. And it's interesting because as, as Isaiah like kind of introduces this metaphor, he gives a contrast. He's like, all people, all of us, humanity is like grass. We don't last forever. We're finite in our current life that we understand. Like flowers and grass fade away, all of us like grass can fade away. But Isaiah says the word of the Lord remains forever. So grass fades, but God's word is forever. And that's why Peter talks about this word as an imperishable seed, something that cannot die, something that lasts forever, something that's eternal. So what God will announce in Jesus, what God will bring about lasts forever. That's part of the impact of what it means to follow Christ. And the early church looks back and reads Isaiah with fresh eyes because they've seen God's word, Jesus, rise from the dead. So look back with fresh eyes to Isaiah's words in Isaiah 40 and realize this is all culminated in Jesus. This is all come about in Jesus. What, what God was promising through Isaiah and this living and eternal and word that will last forever culminates in Christ because he's the word of God and he's the message to the world. That's really important to understand. We don't just have a wordy message. We have a personal message, which is Jesus. And when the early Christians heard this word announced, that's what Peter says in verse 25. He says, you know, the, the word is the good news that was announced to you. In other words, all these people reading this letter at one point heard about Jesus, heard about the gospel of God's kingdom, uh, under, started to understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They heard that, 
and it regenerated them. That's what the word that like we read earlier in one version of the Bible that talks about being born again or, 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 or born anew. Here we read being born anew. It's the same word we read last week in verse 3, this new birth. It's the, word, the word is regenerated. When they heard this and when they responded, they were regenerated. Something changed them. Years ago, um, there was a person I met. We were, it was part of a church in the middle of the city, and there was a collection of churches in the city, and one of them was in the East End, and we often did things together. And I met this guy for the first time. His name was Paolo. In fact, his whole name was Paolo Mirabelli. Maybe there's one or two people who might even know him if they've worked in similar circles these days. So Paolo, this guy was like literally in like a low-level East End gangster. When I mean like he wasn't a mob boss or anything, he was just like a low-level East End gangster. And, and so he wasn't the kind of guy that you would really love to meet, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday night in the corner of La Cordaire and Jean Talon or something coming out of an Italian bar. It was probably not that guy. So he, he had a certain kind of experience in life about him. And, uh, but one day, one day he heard about the living word. One day he came to know who Jesus was. One day he heard the gospel, and something changed in him. In fact, today, if you go to Welcome Hall Mission, he serves, I think, still the men's residence in, in Welcome Hall Mission. He's a pastoral social worker today, very different from an East End gangster. And uh, I remember when I first met him, and I, hear, I heard his story personally. Uh, he often shared to some of like, the youth groups at the time. And I remember him saying this specifically this, to me, and it was his unique experience. He said, something happened to me that changed me. And for him, it was like night and day. For him, it was like one day to another. And he, he, he said, like, my language, my, my desires, my ambitions have all been changing. And now I understand that that's not every Christian's experience, like one day to another, like overnight. Some of us look back and say, after six months, a year, and it's like, oh, God's been changing me. For Paolo, it was like, boom. And maybe that was necessary for her. Maybe just the way his life was going and how he met God, that was so essential. But one thing that is very much in common with any person who follows Jesus, whether it's immediate or over time, is that something new starts to happen. And something new was happening in Paolo, and something new does happen in every person who follows Christ. See, Paolo was receiving new life because he heard the word. He heard Jesus, or about Jesus. And it's really important we understand that, because this is kind of the process, and I just put four words on the screen for us, the word promise, provoke, and um, receive and respond. And we need to understand that that's how we come across this message. We, we hear this message, or come to know Christ, or hear the message of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, and we see that there's promises in there. It's a promise for us to have life, to find life, to find forgiveness, to find freedom. But that message, as much as it promises, it also provokes is no doubt in my mind that in Paolo's life, the message provoked him. It's like, I, oh yeah, maybe the things I was doing aren't that great. And God's like exposing stuff in him, like he's done in us, in many people. So the message of the gospel promises life, but it also exposes remnants of death in us. And when I say death, I don't mean literal death, but I mean sin and things that are not reflective of resurrection life. So the message promises and it provokes, but the way we experience it is we receive it and we respond. And I think that would probably be the same with Paolo or many of us. It's, it's two, a two-part process. You come in, in like, 
You come to encounter the message of the gospel. You come to know who Jesus is. So you, and maybe if that's you, then you received it. You believed it. You kind of like what Paul says to the Roman church, like you confess with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You've received that message. You're saying, this is true. I believe that this happened. I believe that Jesus died and was buried and, and rose from the grave, and I believe he ascended into God's presence. And so you're receiving that message. But here's what's so important. That's available to you, but it's not automatic because we need to respond to that, right? We respond to what we've received. And the response is, confession, repentance, surrender. There's no doubt in my mind that when I look at Paolo's life back then, he didn't just receive the message like, oh my gosh, this is such a great promise. But he responded to it. And that began to change him. And so Peter uses this, this image, right, in this text. He calls the word seed, like a, a perishable or imperishable seed, a seed that will die, a seed that will last forever. And he says, this word, this message is one that lasts forever. And just like any seed, when you receive seed into the ground, it grows, right? And it begins to transform. And so Peter says that when, you've re- when you receive that, then you begin to be born anew or you begin to be regenerated, that's so important to understand that. That's, that's what happens when someone comes to faith in Christ. And maybe you're listening and you're saying, well, I haven't experienced any transformation. Like I've just been coming on Sundays and I like the vibe here. And, um, you know, I like to make fun of the pastor because he says weird things sometimes. Um, or, you know, it's really great, like it's simple, it's accessible. My kids have a great place to be, but maybe you haven't received or responded. And I'm not saying that that, that, that change happens immediately, but here's, here's it just, it's in my mind as I'm thinking about this. I, I, I'm pretty certain that there could be a few people here that have just been tracking with us or even just um, interested in faith or interested in church or saying like, I need church or I need faith and and the real change, the real transformation comes when we receive and respond. When we take the promise, but also allow that message to provoke us. When we, when we just, don't just say, I believe it, but then we say, I confess and repent and respond to it. That's important. And if you're here and you're listening, or you're listening online and you're just like hungering for God to work in your life and you're saying, I long for that kind of living hope. I long for life sourced in the resurrection. It's available, but it's not automatic. We need to respond to it. And so I just encourage you, if that's you today, to respond to it through confession, through repentance, through surrender. Yes, belief is part of it, but it's not just a mental belief. It's saying, I want to follow Jesus. I will follow Jesus. The direction I've been going has been off. I'm turning this way to follow him. And the scriptures say that that in that turning, in that response, that we start to experience glimpses of that new life that God has in store for us. And one of the signs of this, and I'll say more about it next week, but, but because Peter mentions it here, I don't want like, you to miss out on this because sometimes we think, like, just like last week, we looked at some signs, right? Like identity, resilience, freedom through worship. Like These are certain signs of resurrection life. Here, Peter's, the one sign Peter alludes to in the few verses we read to is love. Love is a sign of that life. It's that, that something changes in us because of Christ, and it births love. 
And something changes in us when we respond or obey that truth, and it births love. And this is really important because if we say we're followers of Jesus, but we, our, our love hasn't changed or grown, we probably have to say, like, have I, have I really responded to Jesus, you know? Like, if you've responded to Jesus and you hate more people, there's probably a, an issue in the, in the equation here, you know? Um, so there's something about that. But, but Peter, Peter says this. He says, now that you have purified your souls, meaning there's a transformation that takes place, by your obedience to the truth, which again alludes to this message, this, this living word. And then he says this, so that... And that's an important little phrase, so that, in other words, this is what happens, so that you have genuine mutual love. Love one another deeply from the heart. So first it's like the so that is that now you have genuine mutual love. Then he adds a little bit of a command. Okay, now like, love one another deeply. The, the, the love that has just, is growing in your heart is a brotherly love. That's, the word there is Philadelphia. Great city, but it also means brotherly love. And, and the word genuine is really sincere. It, it means unhypocritical. Like when, when someone comes to Christ, the kind of life that starts to grow in us is an unhypocritical, sincere, genuine love. It doesn't mean that everybody you meet, you automatically like it doesn't mean that there's no conflicts in our lives because conflicts happen for a variety of reasons. But it does mean that a love grows. And Peter specifically says, as this love is growing, now that you're part of this community, at the very basic level, love one another deeply and, allow, and then allow that love to flow outwards. So, and, and this new life shows up in everyday life. L look what Peter says in, in, in just the next chapter, chapter 2. We read this, right? So he says all this stuff, and then he says this. He kind of like encourages them to make some steps. He says, rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. I mean, what are the, these are basically the opposites of love, right? He's like, rid yourself of the, of, like, of the stuff that is not loving because now love is growing in you. Catch those things. Let the message provoke you as you respond. Catch those things. See, chapter 2, verse 1 is part of the death we leave behind for the new life. Like this stuff, malice and guile and insincerity and envy and slander, and it's not a, you know, an exhaustive list. You could probably add some other words there, but he is, he's kind of honing in on that. That is like the part of death we leave behind because we're embracing new life, which is a life of love. Love is part of the new life. And that's why love is so primary in Scripture. That's why Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God works enough, one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. That's why the commands of Christ are love one another. This here's a new command I give to you, love one another. That's why in the teachings of Christ, one of the primary signs of life in Christ is love. In fact, this is important for us. Christian maturity is primarily about love, not knowledge. Now, I love knowledge. I love reading. I read a lot, even thinking about this message this week. I love reading the scriptures. I love reading theological books. I love reading about other stuff to help me and inform me and kind of sift through things. But this is really important. Christian maturity is primarily about love, not knowledge. And if we are growing in knowledge, that knowledge should fuel a life of love. And so that's, that's key. And a love then that is bold and courageous and stands up to injustice and rejects sin, but at the core level, it's still love. 
It's still a sincere, unhypocritical, genuine, mutual love that's first expressed with God's family. Like if we can't express it with each other, then it's going to be really hard to express it elsewhere. Then we're just picking and choosing and saying, this is easy, this is hard. I'll love what is, what's easy. I won't love what's hard. And we, you know, we're good at that. Humans are good at that. We're good at picking and choosing what's easy to love or not. You, I'm sure you do it with some of your neighbors. I have such a great relationship with the person three doors down from me, but the one four doors down from me I struggle with, so I can just stay away from them. We pick and choose. But... What's growing, a, a, a Christian maturity is growing in a life of love. And then doctrine and knowledge and scriptural understanding all pour into that. I mean, I'm not the one who's saying that. Peter's like, yeah, this is what happens when you obey the truth so that you have genuine love. That starts to grow. That's a clue to this new life that's sourced in the resurrection. And here's, here's how we nurture this. Here's how we nurture this life we nurture this life the same way that we're brought into this life, through the living word. So the living word regenerates us and the living word renews us. The living word changes us and the living word continues to change us. So the living word brings new life and the living word also sustains that life. And here's, here's what Peter says in chapter two, verse two. He says, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation. Long for the pure spiritual milk, which is basically another metaphor for God's word, for God's message to us. But long for it like a, like a little baby. Some of you might know my son Andrew. He's about a foot taller than me. And so I didn't get that gene um, and Andrew was a crazy baby drinker, baby milk drinker. Like he, he was a crazy milk drinker as a kid. He drank like a beast. It was crazy. We stocked the fridge like 48 ounce bottles, like formula bottles, and they were like, you know, we had we were just changing those every two days. We're like, how how much does this kid drink? And you know what was great? It was so fun and easy to feed him. You're like, you're holding him, and he's like, he's just drinking it all. It's like boom, gone. I'm like, how, this is, it was easy, it was fun. I know, I'm sorry, so sorry for parents. That, you know, kids struggle to, your baby struggle to eat and whatever. We were just, this was one way we were blessed. He just drank like crazy. And it was easy and it was even fun to watch him. And here's the thing, he was hungry for it. He was hungry for it. He just make the bottle, boom, he'd drink it. Now he's 6'2". And maybe that's kind of like <laughs> the reason we don't know what we did. But that was probably what happened. And here, this is what Peter's saying, right? He's saying, like newborn babies, long for spiritual milk. Long for the message and life of the gospel so that you may grow into salvation. That's what he says. Long for this. Grow into salvation, right? Life has happened. Life is starting. You're entering a new life. You're regenerated in Christ. But then he says, long for it so you may grow into salvation. Don't confuse salvation with parsing Greek words in the New Testament. Don't confuse salvation with knowledge or theological complexities. They have their place. And I love to read about them. Don't confuse it. Salvation is life. Salvation is life in Christ. Salvation is life from God. Salvation is the living hope that we have because of God's mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
We had some clues to that last week, right? That life that brings a new identity, that life that brings a new resilience, that life that brings freedom because we no longer worship the things that we're serving. Now we worship God and he's a giver, not a taker. So we find this kind of life. That's the salvation we grow into. That's the life he longs for us. And it's sourced in the living word, Jesus. So to nurture life, sourced in the resurrection, is feeding on the message of Jesus, is feeding on the gospel, is feeding on the gospel of God's kingdom. So if there's one or two ways we can practice that this week and ongoing, I'm just going to share it this way. The first side of it is keep coming back to the core message of the gospel. Keep coming back to the core message of the gospel. It's so vital, and when we read through the New Testament, we see at times, through almost every letter that's written to the early church, there's always like a little sketch, something that the core of the gospel is there. And Paul told this one church, one of my favorite lines in Scripture about what Scripture really is, Paul in, I think, Colossians 3.16 says, may the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, Paul wasn't saying like, you know, don't worry about, you know, the Torah, He wasn't saying, like, forget the history and chronicles. He's not saying, like, neglect the Psalms. But he's saying, may the message of Jesus dwell in you richly. May the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Because in the message of Christ is the gospel of God's kingdom. And so while we should read the whole Bible, and I'm not telling you that, like, that you have to have a specific goal. It's great to read the Bible consistently throughout your walk with Christ. But... Make sure that you're reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they're the lens, and, and Christ is the lens that gave the early church leaders a lens back into the Old Testament. So read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and get a, like remind yourself of the announcement of the Gospel, which Paul said in summary was the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And then, just like Peter did with the new, with new like Jesus lens on, he goes back to Isaiah 40 and says... This was always part of God's plan. The living word, this word that never fades, that's, that was, Isaiah was talking about Jesus there, the one who would be the suffering servant, God's Messiah. And so then when we're, when we're kind of immersing ourselves, coming back to the core message of the gospel, all of a sudden we have a better lens, the prophetic descriptions like Isaiah's suffering servant, the prophetic promises of new creation, they're all now like viewed through the lens of Christ. So that's the first part. Keep coming back to the core message of the gospel and then absorb the whole scripture. Absorb the whole scripture. And I've said this before, maybe ways to absorb the whole scripture. Like today, we read through this part of 1 Peter and we came across Isaiah. We're like, oh, maybe I should go read Isaiah 40. And read Isaiah 40, get a sense of it, then come back to Peter. Read through Hebrews and look at where he quotes these sections of the Old Testament. Go back to them and then come back to Hebrews but absorb the whole scripture. And, and let, me, let me say this, remember, and here's the rule. I just said A and B. Go back to the core message of the gospel, read the whole scripture. And I kind of want to say, and this is not like a firm absolute rule, but a general rule is A before B. A before B, why? For your, your own spiritual growth, our own spiritual growth in Christ as Christ followers, but also for our proclamation. Because A gives us the lens for B. Jesus gives us the lens for all of the scripture. Peter and Paul and the writer of the Hebrews were were looking back to the Old Testament with a different mindset because they encountered the resurrected Christ. 
So it's really important that you and I, when we're absorbing the message of Christ and the message of the scriptures, it's A before B because A becomes a lens for B. And this is important because when, if you proclaim B to the world without A, all you do is put a burden on people. But when you proclaim A, the message of Christ, and then B, all of a sudden it's very different. People get the whole story and the why and the what in Christ. And so these two practices for you and me to grow in this so that we can nurture this life sourced in resurrection is going back to the core message of Jesus, the gospels, the proclamation of the gospel, and then the whole of scripture. And here's the motivation, and I'll end with this. I'll end with this. And this is so, I love how Peter ends this little section. And he's, you know, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk so that you may grow into salvation. And he says this, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He adds that little piece. Like if, if you have come to know Jesus and you've tasted that God is good, man, like just like a baby, hunger for the living word, hunger for Jesus, hunger for the message of Jesus, hunger for the gospel, hunger for the whole message of God in the scriptures like this little kid hungers for milk. If you've tasted that the Lord is good. Montreal's a food town, right? What are like some major, what are one or two foods Montreal's known for? Quick, quick. Poutine? Smoked meat bagels? Okay, imagine putting that all together now. Like a smoked meat poutine bagel? Oh my gosh, that would just be like, everybody's running to get that after church. But, I, I, like, poutine is one of those major, you know, Montreal things. Smoked meat is one of those major Montreal things. And so a friend of mine was in town, and he really wanted smoked meat. So I said, let's go to, let's go to smoked meat, Pete. Don't, let's not drive downtown or whatever. So we went to smoked meat, Pete, on the 20. And um, I, 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 believe it or not, I never had this yet, you know, in all of my life in Montreal. I've had poutine and I had smoked meat. I've never had a smoked meat poutine. And I had it, and it was fabulous. It was, it was so good. It was so, it was so good. I just imagine both wonderful things, like poutine and smoked meat together on the same dish. And now maybe you like the sauce on top or on the bottom. I don't know. That's your choice. I just, it was whatever it was, it was wonderful. And every time I drive by the 20 and I see smoked meat Pete, I, that's like, I'm like, I want to smoke meat poutine. <laughs> I need that. I was, why? Because I tasted it. I tasted it and I can't get that taste out of my mind, out of my taste buds. And if you've tasted the life that only comes from Jesus then you hunger for that, and you long for that, and you keep feeding on that. Don't keep feeding on smoked meat poutine. That's not great for you. But keep feeding on Jesus. Keep feeding on the word, on the living word, Jesus, and on the written word, all of the scriptures. And here's what it does. It's the source of this new life in Christ for you and me, and it's what shapes this life in us. Because it doesn't just happen. It continues to happen. And so we come into this relationship with Christ, through Christ, through the living word. It's the source of this life, but then it's also what shapes us continually so we continue growing in this life. And if you've tasted that, oh my gosh, keep going back and back and back and immerse yourself in this. Like Paul says, may the message of Jesus dwell in you richly. Amen? Let's stand and pray together.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You're so good, God. Let's just, just take a moment and be present with him. Let's take a moment and let him kind of reveal not just the promise of the gospel, but provoke maybe areas of our life that he longs to come and bring fresh change in. Bless you, Jesus. And maybe you're here today and um, just earlier when we pause just to, just to think about have you received and responded to Christ? Maybe right now in this moment is a moment for you to do that, to respond to the gospel of God's kingdom, to not just receive this message, to not just say, yes, I believe it, but to respond and to follow Jesus as Lord. I just so encourage you to make that decision today. If that's where, if you're in that moment to do that, to respond to this message. That's the only way that the, what's available to us will become part of our lives. Yes, God. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this just wonderful big story of the scriptures and how even from this one prophetic word in Isaiah, the springboard, the talking about your word forever, impacting humanity forever, that comes in the form of your servant, Christ. God, thank you for that. Help us to see Christ as the living word. Help us to see Christ as the core message of the gospel of your kingdom. And God, may, may we be a people, may we be a community of Christ followers that truly dwells on the message of Christ richly. God, may this become the lens in which we read all of scripture and the lens in which we take step by step into this life you're calling us to, God. And so thank you for many here today that have that have already come into this life, that the message of the gospel has been a source for this life. And I pray for each of us here that that same message would continue to shape us day, day by day into this life. And for some that are maybe making a decision today around this, oh God, may they see that um, you are for them and that you long to bring life and freedom and forgiveness into their life as they, as they begin to follow you, God. Help us to be a community that walks with one another in this life and nurtures this life with one another. And may we hunger, may we hunger, oh God, for the message of Christ. Remind us of the beautiful way, in a sense, that it tastes in our lives because you've done something good and your promises are wonderful. And then yet this week, where necessary, may it provoke us to surrender more and more of ourselves to you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace. Peace.